new series, and the River Church of the South Bay turns, drum roll please, 13 today. We're 13 years old, people. We're, we're no longer an awkward tween. We've made it into that high school era. We're freshmen. We're getting picked on by the other big churches, but I'm kidding. That's not happening. We're 13 years old. 13 years ago, Super Bowl Sunday. That's exciting. Okay. <clears throat> a lot of excitement in the room right now. I can feel it. It's just pulsating with energy towards the 13th anniversary of our church. New series, it's called Enjoy or Enjoying. It's a gerund. Speaking of English professors, right there, Kathleen. Enjoying people in a divided world. Enjoying people in a divided world. We're going through this last year and, and this next year, we're going through kind of our four core values. The things that the River Church's heart, its 13-year-old teenage heart, beats for. And we covered love last fall. Enjoy this series. And we have play and share, which we'll be getting into. If you're intrigued by those words, those are our core values. And so I thought being the one who is delighted to kick off our new series, I thought, let's shoot low and just answer the question, what is the meaning of life? So if you have 30 minutes to spare and you've wondered about that, you came to the right place, folks. So the question about the meaning of life, the purpose of life, we're zooming all the way out and we're going to look at the Google map of purpose meaning, and answer it from the perspective, the transcendent perspective, the God's eye view, the sort of Jesus way answer to that question. That's the goal today. If I get even like halfway there, we'll be delighted. Um, I want to start with like a sort of question slash story, and, and it's this. Have you ever had something that you totally misused? You didn't know how to use it, and you totally misused it. Anyone have that experience? Like you have a thing or you have a gizmo, a gadget, a plenty, a who's it and what's it galore? You want thingamabobs? I got 20. But who cares? No big deal. Come on, Norris. You know this. Okay, that was complete. I didn't plan to do that, but I was singing Little Mermaid. You have something you don't know how to use it. You're not sure what it's for, what it does. I'm going to tell you a story from my high school day. My high school days. I was dating this beautiful woman right here. I married her, by the way. I'm not just a creepy pastor who's like pointing out ex-girlfriends in the audience. Um, I married her. But we were in high school. I was dating her. And I, it was 1999. I was mustacheless. Full of life. And I would love talking to her. You know when you're in the dating phase... Those of you that have been in relationships, you just want to talk. You're just continuing the conversation. You're like, so what's your thoughts on clouds? Like, tell me, how do you feel? Or what's your position on daylight savings time? Are you pro or against? You just want to keep the conversation going. And I would be in, I lived with my parents at the time because I was in high school. And I would be in, and I'm a millennial, so the parent living thing kind of pushes further. (coughs) Millennial joke, check that box. I would talk to her. In the evenings, after, after you know, we were on a date or something, and my brother would be in the living room, and I'd be in the kitchen, and sort of you could see into the kitchen from the living room. So I'd sit in the kitchen on a little stool, a low-lying stool. Now, some of you are from a different generation than me, a younger generation. Now, telephones 
at that time had a cord, a twirly-whirly cord that connected to the wall. The, yeah, that's right, the wall. So I would be on the phone, twirly-whirly cord, wall, and then I'd sit on the stool and I'd close the sliding door to the kitchen so my brother can't listen to me speaking sweet nothings to Bray. Appropriate sweet nothings, but sweet nothings nonetheless. And so I'm talking to Bray, and we're just in a conversation. I'm probably saying something hilarious, and she's laughing, like she is right now. And, and I go, Bray, I got to go. Something's happening here. I got to go. So I, I'm like, sorry, babe, pray for me. This is, this is legit. So I hung up the phone, and I looked down. From my vantage point on my stool, I looked under. Now, my parents are asleep at this point. Like, my sis, little sister, she's asleep. My brother's in there. I don't know if he slept. He's just up all the time. But I was like, there's a fire in our kitchen. Underneath the stove, from my vantage point, there was a flame burning. Just no one knew about it. It was ongoing. And I'm thinking to myself, like, there's a fire under the stove. And everyone's asleep. And, Lord, thank you, I saw this. And I go into a mode I'm typically in, which is hero mode. Like, it's time to save the day. This is what I'm made for. And so I start surveying. I get close to it. I'm examining it. See, the key to overcoming a problem is you got to know it. you got to understand the problem before you can solve it. So I'm trying to assess the situation under the stove. And I'm like, this fire's not going out. And so finally, say a prayer and blow it out. And I'm like, another day, another salvation. And so... I head to bed that night feeling pretty good about basically saving my family from a a fiery death. And I go to sleep. I wake up the next morning. And my mom and dad are, like, scouring the house. They're, like, looking at everything and sniffing. And I'm like, what's going on in my house, man? And, And my mom's like, do you smell? It smells like gas down here. The whole downstairs smells like gas. And I'm like, she goes, do you know anything about that? I go, that's so weird. We had a weird thing happen last night, too. There was a fire under the stove, and I blew it out to save all of our lives. So it turns out there's a thing called a pilot light on a stove. And that's a little itty-bitty fire that has to keep burning, and if you blow it out, everyone dies of gas poisoning. So, so have you ever had something that you didn't know how to use properly, and you misused it? and almost killed your family, because I have had that experience. So that's kind of a silly story to bring us into like a more real question, which is, what the heck is this thing called life for? What does it do? What's it here for? The why of it all. Have you ever honestly asked that? If you're like me, a church kid, you grow up, you know, born on a Tuesday, in church on Sunday. If you cut me, I bleed church bulletins. They just come flying out. You can check out the announcements. Like, that's, that's me. But I still ask that question to this day. Sometimes you're just overwhelmed. Like, whoa, this is weird. Like, I'm here. My hand is here. We're all together. Now, those questions may have been gas-induced, probably, from my experience. But, but they're, it's a really good question. And, and by the way, those that are, that are following the way of Jesus, those that, that are followers of Jesus, Christians, they're not the only ones asking that question. It's everyone's question. Every human being, every sentient being, human being, hominid, on this planet is asking that question one way or another. Some people say, like, I don't, I don't, really, I don't really know, so I just kind of live my life. Or I don't really have an answer to that, so I'm just kind of rolling on. Um, 
But the reality is, even if those that don't have an articulated answer, a clear, thought-through answer, their life is indeed answering it. The habits and modes and rhythms of life, the priorities that are unspoken but can be discerned if an anthropologist watched your life, you'd be able to outline, well, here are the things that are most important to this person. I can see it in, in, in a chart of their life. So everyone's asking this. We're not like trees, Trees just grow. Like, you're a tree. I'm a young sapling. I hope to be a sequoia one day, right? Or a sycamore tree. Any other favorite trees out there? Oak trees are great. (laughs) Jillian, thanks for participating today. I really appreciate it. So trees just grow. They just do their thing. But something about humans that's really weird about us, we have this sense that there is something more. Like we have something to do or there's a problem to be solved. There's a why of all of this. Now, I know this is super basic. And some of you are like, boy, I'm glad that this church is going deep. Like the reality is it is super basic, but it's also fundamentally forgotten about again and again. And as followers of Jesus today, or or as a follower of Jesus, what I want to do is to look at the answer to the question of the meaning of life, the purpose of life. What is this thing for? I want to answer that very basically from the perspective of the scriptures, okay? So if you're a follower of Jesus, this is like a reminder, a refresher, maybe a clarifier, because I'll be honest, we're pretty confused about it sometimes too. Sometimes we start in the middle of the story, the way we describe meaning in life. Sometimes we we, we sort of head off course. I think of it like this, one more metaphor, and then I'm going to go to the Bible, I promise. Um, Like sandwiches at lunchtime when you're in, in elementary school. Remember like sandwiches in the plastic bag at lunchtime? Anyone have that experience? Like when I was a kid, you could trade food. There's now a trade embargo on all kids. Like, you can't trade food because allergies and stuff. Like, my kids complain about food, and I'm like, trade up. Like, you can't, Dad. I'm like, oh, man. So when I was a kid, my peanut butter and jelly sandwich, which my mom made in pristine condition and tasted delightful, would then be put into plastic bag, put into paper bag, put into basically the sunlight. Like, that's where you would stash your lunches. The teachers didn't understand that, that like, stuff happens. And, and by the time you eat your sandwich, it tastes like peanut butter, jelly, and plastic bag. It has that kind of mix, okay? So those of you that are followers of Jesus, as we start this series, you might be like, oh, I know the answer to these questions. But the reality is, we all live in, like, the plastic bag of culture. We live in the plastic bag of our uh, entertainments and, and our workplaces and all the things that, that shape us. And so our taste... Or our clarity on the question, what's life about, sometimes gets a little plastic baggy. That was my plastic bag metaphor. Now to the Bible. Okay, so the Bible starts off in three chapters as sort of moderns have divided them. Barashit, in the beginning, in the beginning, it starts right off answering questions that it thinks are really important questions. Some of the questions that I want to ask as a sort of a modern on this side of the scientific revolution, right, are not questions it cares to answer. Like, I want to know about wormholes. I want to know about quarks. I want to know about space-time continuums, flux capacitors. (laughs) Anybody? Thank you, Kathleen. She gets it. 
I want to know about all these kinds of technological quantum physics questions. The scriptures do not seem that concerned to answer those questions. But there are questions that are at the forefront, the tip of the brain, if you will, of these scriptures. So if you would like to follow along as we ask the question, what is this life for? What is it to be used for? What the heck is going on to start our series on enjoying people in a divided world? You can join me, Genesis 1.1. Parashit para Elohim et ha shamayim va et ha eretz. Who's impressed in here? I just read, okay, thank you, one, two. That's the goal of the sermon, no. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This thesis statement for what is going to follow in the, next, in the whole of the chapter. So it's the thesis statement for all that is going to happen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the description that follows is formatted in this beautiful, stylistic, ancient Mesopotamian-inspired way. And there's a lot of things that it's doing, but one of the primary items that it's trying to get across comes through in a repetition. It comes through in a repetition. I love that Jasmine was talking today about repetitions, right? Because you're about to see a beautiful poetic repetition. So it starts off, and the Lord said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light, verse 4, that it was good. The Hebrew word tov, tov, that it was tov. It was good. Separated the light from the darkness, and it goes on. God said, let there be a vault between, and it says the first day. God said, let there be a vault between the waters. Separate the waters. God made the vault. God called the vault sky. There was evening, morning, second day. And then it addresses the waters. And it goes through this day of creation. And then what does it say? God saw that. This is verse 10. God saw that it was good. It was good. And then the next day, vegetation, trees, all these things. And then it gets to, and God saw that it was Good. Third day. Fourth day, God saw that it was, verse 18, God saw that it was good. God, fifth day, God saw that it was good. And sixth day, God saw that it was good. He creates, he creates then human beings. This is an important passage. Then God said, let us make, verse 26 of Genesis 1, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. In our image, right? This, this really loaded, beautiful Hebrew term, tselem, like this image, it's got so much, so much explanatory power, this term. But essentially, there's a sense in which God says, we are making human beings and we're going to make them relatable. They're going to make them able to relate to me and to one another in, in a different way than other pieces of creation. This is going to be a set apart group of, of created beings. Let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so they may have stewardship over, sometimes translated rule over, fish, sea, birds, livestock, basically this planet, have stewardship in this planet Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them and he blessed them. Be fruitful and increase in number. Then after this day, verse 31, God saw all that he had made that it was? Very good. Yes, tov ma'ov. So the rhythm of this first chapter, it's something like God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. 
God saw that it was very good, right? So there's a certain meter to it. There's a memorability to it. That memorability, that word sounds funny coming out of my mouth. Memorability. Let's pray. No, that's, that's a really important structure. But the, the thesis, the point I'm trying to make here is if you're going to get something out of Genesis 1, there's a lot of things we could glean. But one of those is it was answering it was answering a very crowded marketplace of ideas, of ancient ideas, about this planet and human beings in this planet. There is no shortage of ancient Near Eastern cosmologies. Uh, my students, I have them read a bundle of these. They're weird, strange. If you think the Bible's weird, I will give you the Enuma Elish or Inki and Ninhursag or Eridu Genesis, these ancient Mesopotamian cosmologies. You'll be like, give me that old-time religion. Where's my Bible at? Like, this thing is much less weird. But it is answering some big questions. That is, what is this created order? Is it chaos? Did it come from a fight and a battle? Or was it created good and pristine and right? And the Bible's answer is, it was created good and pristine and right. What are human beings? Many of the ancient Near Eastern cosmologies answer that question by saying human beings were created as slaves to the gods. The gods were tired of doing drudgery, and so they created, out of clay, this slave army, if you will, to do the ditch digging that they didn't want to do. The scriptures then answer the question quite differently. What are human beings? They're made in the image of God. They share something with the Lord, with God. So there's a lot of explanatory power in this first chapter. And the seventh day, of course, it says God rested. This doesn't mean that God was at like Burke Williams getting a massage and relaxing. Resting, if you look at ancient Near Eastern iconography, you'll see the deities are always seated. They're seated and it's a ruling. It's sitting on the throne and ruling. So God creates and then he inhabits to rule. So Genesis 1 is a lot of things, but um, we could talk more during office hours, if you'd like, about this. But what I want you to understand is, how were things in the original creation? Good, good, very good. Good, good, very, very good. And then it rushes to the problem. Like, by the time you get, here it is, ready? I'm going to hold this up, hope it doesn't rip. Here it is. This is creation, pristine, intention, the purpose of everything, which I'll get to. And all the rest of it, all this stuff, these are thin pages, is righting the wrong that was introduced in chapter 3. All the rest of it is, it starts, though, with here's what it was all about. And then in chapter 3, and I won't read through the whole thing, but essentially it's a story of mankind balling up their fist at God and saying, God... I know you're creator. I know I'm a contingent being and you're a necessary being. I know you are that which is ultimate. But I kind of got some ideas about this whole life thing that I'd like to play out in my life. I kind of like to do it your way, but also my way. So that's what I'm going to do. And the story is the story of the fruit and the tree and the eating of the fruit. That God said, this tree is not for you right now. This is not yours and human beings ball up their fist at God and say, we'll direct this thing called life. Thank you very much. We'll do it our way. And so if you, as you read Genesis 3, there is this, this giant, giant catastrophe. This poison that enters the bloodstream of humanity 
and even the earth, even the earth itself. Like, so this is the Christian big answer to, what's the problem? What went wrong? The answer is, it's sort of anthrocentric. It's a human-initiated issue, which I think we could read through human history then. And I used to teach world civ classes, so I'd, I'd force students to read through large chunks of world history. From the, from the get-go, from the jump, as Drake would say. You got a smile out of Julian. From the get-go, it's humans oppressing others. It's society stratifying in such a way that some lives are valuable, some lives are worthy, and other lives are disposable and extinguishable. It's from the get-go, this is human beings. Slavery, one of the earliest and most ancient institutions that is brought into this world, where human beings' lives that the scriptures would say are made in the image of the living God, inherently valuable, that lives are used as tools that can be discarded and abused. This is right off the bat. I don't have to build a case. I don't have to even get to World War I, World War II to tell you, like Houston, we have a problem. We all kind of know it and see it. The answer we're told early on is things were in unison. God and man, humans, humans and one another and, and humans in this earth. And a rupture took place that had this cascading outfall that broke all of that up. And so from the, from the Genesis 3 account all the way on through until we get to the end of Revelation, essentially, the last book in the way we've ordered the Bible here, not in our church, but the way Christians have, all the way through, it's a story of God making right that which went wrong. God does not abandon it. God doesn't walk away and say, I'm popping into another dimension. Forget this place. I'll do it elsewhere. And rather, is insistent on making all things right again. But when you ask the question, like, okay, what's the true purpose of life? Like, why did you create this, God? And you created it good, but Why? What was it all supposed to do? Let's say, for example, humans didn't contaminate it. Let's just say, for example, it didn't go terribly wrong. What were we going to be doing the whole time? What was the purpose? And there's this really beautiful glimpse, and that's the main passage I want to look at today, this beautiful glimpse in, in Genesis 3, in the middle of the drama and trauma of the quote-unquote fall, there is this little passage that I think answers that question in a profound way, a powerful way, a poetic way, and a truthful way that answers this question. So Genesis chapter 3 and verses 6 through 8, I'm um, 6 through 9. So th this narrative, this little chunk I'm going to read to you is the story of how things went wrong when the woman saw the fruit of the tree, this tree that God said, just avoid this, this isn't for you, not for you right now, it's not yours. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate some. She gave some to her husband who was with her. He ate it. The eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked. Just, chap just a verses before this, when things are good, 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 it says, and they were naked and unashamed. It's this real picture of where shame has no place in the universe. And here, shame enters. And they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings. 
Verse 8, here's the verse. Genesis 3, 8. If you want to understand the purpose of life from the perspective of the scriptures, this is the verse, I think, that is wildly insightful. It's a window into that, into that purpose. Then the man and his wife, this is after the fall, things had just been ruined. They heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from him among the trees of the garden. And the Lord called out, where are you? Where are you? Now here's what, I, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's trying to say God has like size, you know, 14 Timberlands. He's walking through the garden. I don't think that, the, I think the imagery here is much more powerful than just some random story. It's this snapshot of the habit of life before things went off the rails. What was going on all that time before? And it's a picture. It seems like a habituation, a regular schedule, if you will, where God desires to walk in the beauty of creation in the cool of the day with those he created to share in the appreciation of all of it. What's the purpose of life? To walk in the garden in the cool of the day with the Lord and with one another. What's the purpose of life? And I think this rings true in all of our hearts, if we really ask the question, Jesus answers it later on, centuries later, in uh, several places. One of those, Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40. It's a very famous passage, but it's essentially Jesus of Nazareth is asked, hey, Jesus, what is that which is ultimate? What is the most important thing if I can have any, any focus in my life, what should it be? And he answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love your neighbor. He answers the question essentially with a snapshot that we see already in the creation accounts, these early cosmologies, this story of dwelling with God in harmony and with one another. I think deep down inside, we all sort of understand this. Last night, I was driving on the Esplanade, heading down to pick up dinner with my daughter in the car, and it was the most packed night. How many of y'all were on the Esplanade or watching the sunset? Anyone here? A few of you. Yeah, like there was basically the whole South Bay down there on the Esplanade, and I'm driving, and I'm not looking at the road because I want to watch the sunset. That's irresponsible of me, but I'm driving, and I'm thinking about the fact that what did you see out there? You saw people together. And you saw, like, phones out. But for one minute, people aren't lost in their phone. They're not, like, swallowed up in the black mirror, right? They're actually spending time wanting to capture it because they want to share that. It's not enough to experience it alone. You want others, whether it's through social media or whatever you're doing with those pictures, to see it. Like, whenever I see a whale, and and you see them during the season pretty frequently. It's cool, but you know, when you've seen it enough, you're not like, stop traffic, there's a whale. But when people see a whale, I was sitting on this bench next to this dude who, he didn't say a word to me the whole time. I was there reading, and he's just kind of chilling, an older guy, and all of a sudden a whale comes out, and he was, you know, didn't seem that happy of a dude, I'll be honest. And I'm just sitting there, and a whale comes out, and all of a sudden he's like, hey, look at that, you, look at that, there's a whale. He wants to, it's not enough for him just to go, oh, that's beautiful. He also wants to appreciate it with another human being. So I think there's something in us that knows this. On our deathbeds, if those of us that are privileged enough to be able to be 
awake alert when we know it's our last hours. We're not saying, hey, go to my closet, pick out my favorite trophies and my degrees, and I want a stock statement, I want a balance sheet, bring them to my bedside, and get these grandkids out of here. They're making too much noise. I want to focus on my achievements or my financial security or bring me a mirror so I can see that last little bit of sexual allure and beauty that I've been saving all these years. We don't ask for these things because they don't matter and we know it. We know that it's about people. We know that it's about sharing these moments. It's about caring deeply for people in a place called this, this, this planet and doing it with the Lord. Like there's something in us that kind of knows that's true north. That's home. That's home. And yet, how many times do I find my way out of that? I sort of need to get recalibrated every Sunday sometimes. I, the worst, it's so funny you mentioned the whole PhD program. When I, was, I remember, I've never been more off track than in the middle of my PhD program. I was just living under this pressure of, I have to perform. I was in a very competitive program at a best university ever. I'm kidding. UCLA's good. USC's good too. We love you all. UCLA's the best. Um, I'm kidding. So, just ruin the whole sermon. People are walking out now. I'm kidding. The... Uh, I remember walking on the, the fifth floor, the fifth floor of Young's Research Library, as I was doing, and I'm not exaggerating, 16-hour days, six days a week, leading up to my comprehensive exams. I did that for about six months. I sacrificed my family. I sacrificed my health. I sacrificed my mental health. I was so, I have to perform. I have to pass. I have to achieve this. And if I don't put everything into it. And the fifth floor of Young's Research Library is all these old books. Books written by people in the 19th century, early 20th century, and they have one thing in common. Dead, 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 and all those books, no one's reading anymore. They just sit there. And it was like one of those moments where you have a, like, a, whoa, you look in a mirror or you smell your own breath, and you're like, oh, goodness gracious. Like, I have been, I am emptying my life into something that does not matter. It just doesn't. I think there are moments where we know it doesn't matter. And then there are moments where we know, like, I am living on purpose. Loving God with all I got. Loving others. I am so focused on that which matters. And um, many of you know, like, our life, Bray and I, in this last two years, if I'm going to preach, you're going to hear about foster stories. Because that's been our world. It's been our life. And I can tell you something. The greatest joy and greatest pain come from the same place in all of our lives. They really do. It's not a Super Bowl bet that you lost. Ah, darn it. It's not even losing the Super Bowl if you're a player in the Super Bowl. The greatest pains and the greatest joys are going to come from relationships. They're going to come from human beings and others that are either we're in deep pain because something is broken there or we're in deep connection. I mean, November for us as foster parents was one of the most dramatic months I've ever had. As I look back on it, it was probably the most dramatic month of my life. Our little, our little Zion, our two-year-old little foster son, we adopted him November 4th. He was in foster care for 576 days, and he has my last name. He has my inheritance. He is my boy. I love, he is my boy, and it happened. I, I feel bad for him that he has my last name. If you know my last name, it's really bad, but, but he's my boy. And the, the height of that moment was like unparalleled. It was unparalleled. And by the end of the month, we had to say goodbye quickly and almost and basically traumatically to our 14, our, our, our three-year-old 
foster son Calvin, our little boy Calvin. We had to say goodbye to him. I cry for Calvin every day of my life. Since then, I have not stopped crying. I cry every day. I cried this morning on the way to church. It's healing. It's part of the process. But the deepest pain in my life is just that going wrong. The fact that I, I, we couldn't keep him forever, and we wanted to. And so it's like that little moment, you just kind of know. Everything else just kind of fell away, like all the other stuff. All the strategy meetings I'm in with my other job, you know, and, and even strategy meetings with our church. I love this church. I love it so much. All of it was just kind of like white noise. Because I was just staring at this thing that I knew was the heart of the meaning of life. And it's relationship. And it's investing ourselves. And so, as I think about um, doing an audit of my own life, and I, and I invite all of us here, 2020, new year, new facial hair, new everything, to do an audit of our lives and really ask the question, where am I investing? And not just like, where do I think I'm investing? Where are my habits? Where do they have me vested? The rhythms of my day, week, life, my calendar, my priority list. Where am I? And doing a real honest assessment of it because we could tell ourselves a lot of things. Well, I'm doing this so that one day I can rest and give back, right? And, and we could push that out so far. Like, are my priorities in body image? Like, I want to keep that allure as long as I, I'm 38 years old. It's, you know, it's, it's, I'm going out to sea on this one, right? The shore is getting further and further away. I'm like, oh, I want to I stay attractive. Is it, is it intelligence? I want to be the smartest one in the room. I want to have the most politically savvy, rhetorically uh, sharp thing that could be said and exchanged. Is it money and finances? I want to just, how much is enough? Just that one more million. I would like the one million to start with, actually. That'd be great. Good start. So what is it that's driving you? And if it's off, if it's off course, the beautiful thing about our God is that in an instant, we can invite him in and say, Lord, I have been drifting. I'm focused on so many things that just don't matter. Or they matter so secondarily. Or tertiary. Um, and then there are moments that I think we can really appreciate and just know and taste the goodness. Because we're in this weird phase between two gardens, if you will, right? This original pristine state of things. This is the big Christian story. The original pristine state of things and the restoration of all things. That God is, is renewing all things. And we live in this interesting place where we get glimpses of the beauty even while we have to take gulps of the brokenness. We get glimpses and tastes. I want to show you two pictures as I, to, for my closing picture, closing, uh, closing arguments. I don't know what you call these things. I've been watching a lot of court TV lately. So this first picture, so this is about two years ago, and, and, and there, you'll have your own moments where you just, you're, it's like you, you're lost taking a walk in the garden in the cool of the day with the Lord and with others. You know when you're just, you're like, this is an end in and of itself. I've tasted purpose. I've tasted it and lived it. This was a, a beautiful evening about a couple years ago. I took Michelli surfing because I want to direct all my kids towards surfing, whether they like it or not. And I took her surfing, and, and uh, just her and I out there by ourselves. Um, a, a nature photographer happened to be out there because it was an insane sunset. And so he's out there taking pictures. That's how I got these. It was a really cool coincidence. 
And I'm out there with her, and, and I'm, the water's kind of warming up. It's springtime. I'm pushing her into waves. She's taking the wave. She paddles back out. She goes, Daddy, did you see my wave? Did you see my wave? And I'm just holding her little cheeks going, Michelle, I love you so much. I'm so proud of you. I love you. And I would just hold her, very affectionate to her. And I just love my baby girl. And there I am in my favorite part of the earth, the Pacific Ocean. And I'm out there on this gorgeous day with this beautiful child, this life that God has entrusted Bray and I with for this time being. And we're having this moment. And then the sun goes down. Next slide. And there we are, like, together, tasting of that which is ultimate, enjoying a walk in the garden in the cool of the day. So if you ask me, James, what's the purpose of life? What's the, what is really, what are we here for? That would be my answer. We're here to enjoy God and enjoy people in the context of the beauty of this place. And there's all kinds of complexity, and we'll, we'll certainly get into it, and I could direct you to books and lectures and, and podcasts that will take you all those different tiramisu layers deep of this thing called purpose. But at the simplest point, and that's what I want to end with, is just these, this truth that you were made to enjoy and love God with all you got and to love others. And if you're functioning in those two places, then everything else, that's just like icing on the cake. Icing on the cake. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have some time where we're going to worship, and we're going to um, take a moment of that affection to the Lord and that uh, reorienting ourselves to that which is ultimate. And, and if some of you are here and maybe someone headlocked you and put you, brought, dragged you to church and said, like, you're coming to church, I'll buy you lunch. Um, and, and you've heard, like, a taste of the story. Um, the beautiful answer as to how all, how God, God's main plan for fixing that which we broke is that God entered into it. And um, in the person of Jesus, and God entered into our brokenness and our wreckage and was crushed in the person of Jesus and died to make all things right. That we can open our hearts and lives and say, Lord, I receive that sacrifice. I receive you. I want to live on purpose. I want to re-enter what I was designed to do. And we could pray that prayer and begin today walking in the garden in the cool of the day with the Lord. So for some of you, uh, maybe you want to talk with whoever brought you or come see me or Jazz, Jasmine Godwin, my wife. A lot of people you can talk with about it. And for some of you as we worship, um, I want to encourage you to, to pick a time today, tomorrow, this week, and go on a walk. Like, go on a walk and enjoy the Lord and have a moment, a meal with some people and tell yourself during that time, this is actually what I was made for. This is the end in and of itself. This is the goal of life, enjoying God and others. Lord, thank you. We worship you. We re- well, I'm reminded. I'm reminded, God, of what I was made for. When I sort of start sniffing in other places, exploring other alluring off-ramps, I pray, God, you would just gently direct me right back in the heart of my purpose and our purpose as a church. We love you, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen. Let's worship.
And communion will be on, on either side as well. Jasmine will introduce it. This is a new song, so... Um... 